big control here. And I'm in control of the world here for the next 45 minutes. By God, I'm running it. Bring it up there, big. So you're okay. You're safe. <laughs> you're safe. Uh, uh, may I uh, quote here for a moment here? Uh, somebody sent me this note here from a uh, from a uh, Russian writer, Solnitskin. Uh, it says, I threw a rotten log into the fire without noticing that it was alive with ants. The log began to crackle. The ants came tumbling out and scurried around in desperation. They ran along the top and writhed as they were scorched by the flames. I gripped the log and rolled it to one side. Many of the ants then managed to escape into the sand or the pine needles, but strangely enough, they did not run away from the fire. They had no sooner overcome their terror than they turned, circled, and some kind of force drew them back to their forsaken homeland. There were many who climbed back onto the burning log, ran about on it, and perished there. Well, all I got to say is he's talking about ants. You remember when they used to consider ants very intelligent creatures? When you were in school, they'd have this ant city. Did you ever have an ant town, an ant city, that's with the little glass thing? It says, look, they have everything going there. They're much more organized than we are. And, you know, they used to study a whole big thing about the ant population. And it was considered, the, you know, it was, it was believed firmly that ants were intelligent. No cockroach would do that. Let me tell you, the cockroach is smarter than that. I mean, if you set a cockroach's house on fire, he's going to split and he ain't coming back. That's it. He'll outlive you by many, many eons and generations. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, all part of, uh, of existence. You have to accept the bitter with the better. you got to accept the butter with the bitter. Yeah. Who used to say that? Uh, you have to accept the butter with the bitter, or the butter with the better. Who used to say that? That's right. Yeah, well, that, that, that's, uh, now let's, uh, let's get a couple of these commercials out of the way before we go any further here. It's a nice, quiet night. I'll be damned. <laughs> I didn't admit it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, uh, speaking of uh, of, um, of the madness, you know, the, this is why I like the summertime because uh, the true nature of man comes out. And uh, and any time people come around and tell me that man is basically a uh, a uh, peaceful creature, that basically he's uh, he's a beautiful creature, and it's only evil society that changes him. I question this strongly having been around several men in my time, and that means women, too. When I say men, I'm meaning it in the capitalized sense. Man, men, man. <laughs> Womankind, humankind, however you prefer to say it. Oh, yes. Yes, I heard, and speaking of humankind, I've heard, uh, I heard a lady the other day very angrily being interviewed on television talking about how basically much more civilized women were than men. I wonder if she's ever seen a fight between women. Have you? Well. <laughs> Boy, they play. <laughs> yeah, they play for keeps. Indeed. And the 
ain't no rules. That's one thing that man has in his battle. He, he generally creates rules, uh, even though he may not live by them. He pretends he's got them, which I suppose is part of civilization, too, to pretend you have rules and then go out and bust them. But, uh, you know, I, I, one of the great uh, educational moments of my life came. You don't mind if I talk about something that could be very disturbing to many of you. Great educational part of my life. Uh, and uh, many of them came in the summertime. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this only as an allegory, uh, only as, as a means to illustrate a point. So don't get, don't get confused. Shepard has no involvement whatsoever in the past or nostalgia, any more than you have, which is minimal, I hope. I mean, anybody who sits around and lives in the past has got problems, I think. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't, uh, shouldn't have an interest in the past, but to live in it is really sad. But uh, I'm, I'm a couple of, couple of semesters back. I, uh, I was back in my hometown, you know. Do you ever go back to your hometown? It's a very educational experience. Well, no, no, mine hasn't changed much. I, I would like to say it's all changed. It has not. See, it would be better if it did. <laughs> I would be the first to applaud if it changed. No, no, I'm serious. It has not changed. The same dildocks are sitting around looking the same dumb way as they always looked and saying the same dumb things. And the, the steel mills are squirting that same smoke up in the air and the blast furnace dust is still drifting down on the same used car lots. It's, this changes about as much as Grand Canyon changes. It just is out there. And uh, I, I uh, drive along this main, you know, the big main uh, industrial street. And industrial towns, by the way, change a lot less than suburbanites towns do. Now, that maybe is where your confusion lies. You tend to think that Shepherd must have lived in this little, wonderful, bucolic, small town, which is now, quote, all changed. No way. I lived in a big, sprawling, tough, industrial city. And the change that comes in industrial cities is very small. Maybe the dust gets thicker, but not much. No, I'll tell you how little that has changed. When I was nine years old, and I can tell you it was nine years old because it was right after my ninth birthday. It happened in the middle of summertime. It was so hot. Fantastic heat if you think that pollution is new to my life. Nine years old, when all of a sudden you could hear thousands of, of sirens all around us. See, of course, in our, in our hometown, the town that I lived in, and by the way, many millions of people still do live in, uh, the town was laced with refineries. I mean, Shell, Phillips 66, Gulf Petroleum, they were all there, see, big refineries. And the, uh, you, we drive... We drive for miles between long rows of these flat, uh, round, they look like big tin aspirins sitting there on the ground, you know, these big tanks. And uh, in between them were cracking plants with flames shooting in the air. And they were making uh, uh, crude oil into gasoline and kerosene. You know what you see over here in Jersey? Well, if you can imagine your entire world covered by that kind of thing, well, that's the way it was. And it's very fragrant. The, 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 uh, the fragrance there, uh, right this minute, uh, smells a little bit like a fantastically enormous cabbage patch 
where the cabbage has all gone bad. That's the closest to, that I can think of to the smell. It smells like bad cabbage. <laughs> so, so uh, uh, one day, uh, there was, of course, what would happen about every three or four weeks out there, there would be an explosion when one of these tanks would go up or something would happen in one of the big refineries there. And sometimes you'd actually hear the actual explosion. So we'd be out playing ball or we'd be, we'd be doing something, and suddenly from a, from a distance you'd just hear this boom. Have you ever heard a big explosion, any of you? Well, it's, it's got a kind of a uh, reverberating thump, and it has a two-pronged sound. It goes boom. They don't just go boom, you know. It goes boom. <laughs> and you can just feel it. There's a wave of, of, of deep sound that rolls out over the state, and uh, once in a while windows will collapse. And there's a huge column of smoke goes up, and uh, it's mushroom-shaped. You know, a lot of people think that the mushroom cloud is because of atomic bombs. The atomic bomb makes a special shape of cloud. No, that just denotes a heavy explosion that also contains with it a great uh, component of implosion. Produces a mushroom cloud. And so we'd see this giant mushroom cloud. It's like an enormous smoke ring. Giant cloud rising. And we know that one of the cracking plants has gone up. And we would hear, you know, from all distances, all directions, you'd hear the sound of sirens going. Well, one day, we could hear the sirens going. We're all sitting there eating in the kitchen. Hear the sirens going. And uh, immediately... Everybody pours out on the back porch to see the big mushroom cloud out there. But it wasn't a mushroom cloud. This time, it was a gigantic cloud, a curtain that covered the entire horizon from one end to the other with flames, big licking uh, dark red flames going up in that black smoke. Everybody rushed out, and thousands of people gathered to watch the river burn. How's that for pollution, friends? The river was on fire from from one end of the horizon to the other. So when you come and tell me that pollution is new, <laughs> oh, man. So uh, anyway, it was, you know, this this kind of thing it was kind of hot there all the time, and there were tremendous uh, steel mills. In the, and at night, the idea, you know, to go out and get a, to, to get out in the cool air was, was uh, had, had several aspects. You'd go out and get in the car, and we would sit down on the shore of the lake, Lake Michigan, in the car and watch the steel mill. You could actually see, you know, you'd see these great ingots going back and forth and reflected on the water. It was really a curiously beautiful sight with the dark red uh, glows over the mills. It was kind of kind of uh, impressive to watch, you know, this giant mill turning out this enormous cloud of, yes, I see you, Jerry, turning out this enormous cloud of, of, uh, of fantastic uh, pollution. Which reminds me, this is WOR New York. And uh, do you have a commercial for me in there? Oh, they're all live. I see. All right, I'll do them then. All right, uh, we have uh, water here. We have, uh, let's see, uh, what water is it? It's Mountain Valley water. I mean, the, in this day of uh, polluted things, it's uh, quite obvious that the water is going to be bottled and sold, good water. And we have... Uh, one of the greatest waters in the world here in America, Mountain Valley water. Look at the record. It's the only water popular across the nation, the only one that you can get coast to coast. It's the first water to merit 100 years of continuous popularity. 
and it's from the natural spring in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Mountain Valley Water. Okay, it's time to remember Prosies. That's the Army-Navy store in 121 Main Street. If you have a father running around your house, you have one of the father types uh, in Hackensack and its companion store. They have a lot of stuff there. The men and boys at 35 Ridge Road in North Arlington. It's a specialist there, Prosies is. Sports apparel, camping equipment, work clothes, all that stuff. At Prosies, you can buy dad's shirts, slacks, and just about anything he wants. If he wants a canteen, you can buy it there, too. If he wants a compass to get the hell out and, and uh, head out into the wilderness, you can try that one, too. To celebrate Father's Day, Prosies is offering WOR listeners 10% off on the price of all merchandise purchased between now and June 17th. And they've been in business for 50 years. Now, give them a try. Prosies, 121 Main Street in Hackensack, or 35 Ridge Road in North Arlington. And uh, you just get your 10% off. Walk in there and holler, W-O-R! And they'll give you 10% off on anything. Just to get rid of you. That's Prosies. Let's see. All righty. All right, all right. I'll, I'll get down to the to the basics here. I'm, I'm uh, back in my hometown. And, uh, you know, it's kind of good sometimes. You go to hometown there, and I drive along through through the main street there. It's a big street. This is like going down through the main street of Newark. Remember that. This is not a little hometown main street. I have to keep telling you this so you don't get confused. And uh, I'm driving along through this big, big main stem there, all these big department stores on either side, and I go past the high school, and uh, I see this place. Igloos. Still there. Igloos is an ice cream joint. A big one. You know, they got a big counter there. It runs about uh, half a block. And, and the 4,000 uh, varieties of ice cream, malted milks, sundaes, all that stuff, see? So I drive past Igloo, and Igloo played a very important role in uh, my upbringing. As a matter of fact, I think ice cream plays an important role in almost every American's upbringing. It's, a, it's kind of like a family treat. I mean, my old man, for example, whenever he wanted to really make it big with the family, right after supper, usually would make the following statement. It would be about 7.30, quarter to 8, and the temperature is hot, the, you know, it's 105 degrees. The old man would settle back in his chairs and say, what do you say? We go out and get some ice cream. We'll go out in the car and go out driving and get some ice cream. This was fantastic. Big moment, you know. And everybody's cheering and yelling. And where would we go? Well, we would go to the igloo. Now, the igloo was a you know, big, big setup there, see? And, and uh, this was, we were not the only family that would go to the igloo. We would go for a ride. We'd drive around. And then we'd wind up going to the igloo. And we'd get a, a quart of ice cream and maybe a couple of ice cream cones for the kids on the way home. And then at, at home, we would have this ice cream. The quart of ice cream would be all dished out. And uh, my mother would have this chocolate syrup, you know, the whole bit. This is a big thing. This is classically American. Do you agree? They simply don't do this in England. They do not do that in France. That is about as basic American as you can get, going out for ice cream. Well, <laughs> it really is true. This is a true American ritual. So uh, I'm driving past the igloos, and I, uh, in my car, see, and I stop. I say, you know, just for old time's sake, I think I'll go in the igloo. See if their ice cream is as good as I remember it used to be when I was a kid. You know, you always have this 
So I, I, I get out of the car and I walk down the street and I go into Igloo. Now this happened to me just about two years ago. And you better get your tape recorder started because this is a classical story. <laughs> I walk into Igloo and I sit down and uh, there's about five clerks working back there, you know, guys with the white hat. And they've got this little Igloo which is the symbol of igloo, obviously. It's a little blue igloo on their hat. See, and these guys are walking around there dishing out the ice cream. So I sit down at the counter. And this guy comes down, and he starts, you know, he throws the menu out at me. He says, uh, what do you have? And I lean back, and I look around, and I decide I'm going to have one of my old favorites, which I always got when I was a kid at igloo. Now, what did I get when I was always a kid going into Eagle? Now, most kids have a thing on chocolate. This is the big kid flavor. Now, some people never outgrow it. But that was a, a, a big kid flavor. I was not a chocolate cuckoo as a kid. Already at the age of nine, I was marching to a different beat. <laughs> and, I, and I wonder where it started. So I said to the guy, okay, uh, I'll tell you what I'd like. I'd like a Sunday... And I want one scoop of strawberry ice cream. And I want one scoop of pineapple ice cream. I want those two together. He said, okay. And then I want pineapple syrup over it. With some nuts. Maybe a little, you know, with that little spritz of whipped cream on the top. He said, Okay. So he walks away, and he comes back, and he puts this thing down. This is, this is what I always ordered as a kid. For some reason, I had a hang-up on that particular combination. So I start to eat the ice cream, and you know, I'm just looking at it, and by God, it was good. It was, it was, it was as good as I remembered it, be in fact, better. Because I think when you're older, you can appreciate things a little more than when you're a kid, you know. So I start to eat the ice cream. And this guy is lounging back at the canal. It was kind of a casual afternoon. There wasn't too many people in there. And uh, I look up at him, and he looks at me, and he looked vaguely familiar. I remember this was my hometown, see? I went back, and I said, plenty of, I figured, well, what the hell? Might as well say it to him. I said, hey, he said, uh, were you around here when they had the war? He comes to attention. I could see. Suddenly he, he wakes up, you know. He says, yeah. Were you here during the war? I says, yep. I was here. He says, my God, it's fantastic. Here, he says, here, let me give you some more. Let me give you another scoop of ice cream. So he turns around and he takes another scoop and he puts it on top there. And he says, a little spritz of cream <clears throat> like that. He says, it's on me. Fantastic. You're, you're, you're a veteran of the, of, of the war here. I said, yep. He says, that was fantastic, wasn't it? I says, my God, I still someday wake up at three in the morning and I can see it all again. And I still don't believe it. He says, you know, you and me both. He says, you know, I bet none of these people sitting here in this counter would believe it. So, you know, you're the first one that's come in in a long time that was, you know, actually was there during it. I said, you better believe it, man. I was right here. And he says, do you remember that place? I says, I do. <laughs> and we sat there and we started to reminisce about the war. 
Now, I'm not going to talk about, you know, it, is, it isn't the war you think. You think it's the war war, don't you? When you walk into igloos and you mention the war, you are not talking about the Hitler war. You're not talking about the Nazis. You're not talking about the Yellow River. You're not talking about Vietnam. You're talking about the war. And you're listening to a veteran of that war. There are some of us who remember it, who are actually there. Now, a lot of other people pretend they were there. I'll tell you this. Like every great historical event, there are millions of people who later on claim they were right on hand. Now, I probably, I would probably guess right now, I would guess that there must be at least 74 million people who claim they were listening to the New York Giants football game the day that the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and they heard the broadcast. Bunk. Absolutely bunkaroony. That the, uh, the statistics don't bear it out. In fact, the ratings on that particular giant game were very low, and there are statistics to prove it. <laughs> but a lot of people believe they were there. Many people believe they were listening to Uncle Don the day that he said his famous thing when he thought the microphone was off. Well, they've come to convince themselves that they really believe it. So I'm not here to, to argue with your lack of perspective, historical or otherwise. But I'm telling you that I was actually there during the war. And I'll never forget it. It taught me so much about mankind. Now, how did the war occur? Well, one afternoon, a vacant store opened up across the street from Igloo. And uh, this was in the middle of summer. And it was one of the hottest summers that we ever had out there. In fact, it's still legendary. You know, one of those kind of summers <coughs> that they have out in the Great Plains states, when for maybe three or four or five weeks, the temperature never drops below 95, and that's at night. And during the day, it hovers between 100, maybe 103, 104, and it goes day after day after day after day after day after day. And the people, it was really, really hot. And the humidity is about 90%. And the mosquitoes are really flourishing. Man, I'll tell you, they love hot weather. You know, mosquitoes really dig hot weather. And so people would go out to the beach, and people would get in their cars every night and drive around. And they'd go down to the igloo and buy ice cream. And the temperature kept up there, roaring around 90 degrees, even at 2 o'clock in the morning. Well, suddenly, without warning... Ads began to appear in the paper that a, a new place was opening up across the street from Igloo, and they advertised it that way. A tremendous full-page ad opened up, and it said, it said, Borden's opening up the ice cream palace. And then underneath it, it says, directly across from Igloo's. Big specials. Come in and try our fantastic ice cream at enormous savings. Well, now, Igloo, for years, had been it. I mean, that was it. That was the ice cream joint in town. And here, across the street from Igloos, 
this outfit had had bought this store or had taken it over, a big store, and they had built, in secrecy apparently, they had built this tremendous ice cream parlor right directly across. And they had a big ad in the paper one day later that says, clip out this coupon. Anybody with a coupon gets a double-dipped ice cream cone for 12 cents. Any flavor. Come on in. Well, there will be favors for the ladies. There will be souvenirs for the kids. Try our new ice cream, our spectacular new ice cream bar. Well, now, I'll point out to you the 20 cents at Igloo's. Now, that's, uh, you know, 10 cents a dip. Now, by today's standards, that's fairly cheap. But, uh, you know, this is the, this is the standard double-dipped ice cream cone that everybody went down to get, and it was a big deal. And, and, and the Igloo's ice cream cone was legendary. You know, like there's always a legendary place in town, like it was absolutely legendary. Everybody said, oh, the best ice cream you go down to Igloo's, get this double-dipped. Well, it was on a Wednesday. And so my old man comes home from work, you know, they, they, this Borden's place was opening. The old man comes home from work, and he says, after supper, he says, what do you say we go down to try that new ice cream place? Well, of course, everybody's cheering. The temperature's 105 degrees. And we go out and get in the car. My mother's got the coupons clipped out of the paper. And we drive around a little while. You know, this place is uh, supposed to be open until midnight, so it's, we're getting a little cool. So we drive around out in the out by the beach, and we drive, finally make a, our usual drive back around town, and we head in towards where the Igloos and the new Borden's joint was. Well, we drive up, and you could not believe it. There was a line. It was 105 degrees, by the way, that night. There was a line of people coming out of this new ice cream joint that would have stretched from here to Trenton and back again. Thousands of people are all standing out, uh, waiting in line. And so we park the car, and we get out, and here are the people coming out, and they've got ice cream cones. Boy, yeah, you see these guys, fantastic, giant ice cream cones. We never saw an ice cream cone that big. They were, they, they were turning on ice cream cones that made the Igloo ice cream cone look like greasy kid stuff. They were really turning giants. And you see these guys coming out, and old ladies and men and kids are coming out of this place with enormous ice cream cones. And, of course, the line stretches for blocks. Well, we park the car, and we get out, and we get in the line there. And the, it's hot, and the people are shuffling forward. And, and, and across the street, we could see it. Across the street is Igloo. Not a soul in it. Igloo had been the Mecca. And there's just nobody. Absolutely not a soul. And you, you see about ten clerks standing around there looking out, you know, they're looking across the street, directly across the street, see. And Mr. Leggett, who was the manager of the Igloo joint, and I knew Mr. Leggett's kid, Johnny, see. Mr. Leggett was standing back at the counter looking around, see, and you could see he's peering out, and he'd walk out, and he'd stand in the door, and he's looking across the street, and there's a tremendous line of people. All of his erstwhile friends are now standing in line over there at the Borden joint. Well, right before my eyes, suddenly, Liggett pops out of this store, and he's got a bucket with a paintbrush, and he paints on the window, gigantic thing, double dip ice cream cone, tonight only 10 cents. 
But I was a pregnant pause. And the crowd now is lined up to get 12-cent ice cream cones. And Mr. Leggett has just put a big sign out that says, 10-cent double-dip giant cones. Well, at first they stayed in line because they'd been waiting in line for about a half an hour, and then they began to peel off. The first group went over, and just like that, it caught the crowd. And this tremendous crowd of people, temperature 105 degrees, just roared across the street. They're running like hell. You could see shoes falling off. The people roared across the street. And now there's an enormous line of people standing in front of the igloo. And, boy, the guys are working like hell. And they're dipping up the ice cream. And they're serving out giant cones. He has told those kids, look, don't you spare the horses. And the ice cream, I'm telling you, the balls of ice cream he was putting in there was roughly the size of cantaloupes. You could see these guys coming out with ice cream cones that were dripping down over their hands, and the crowd is excited. They're cheering and yelling the whole way to life. Well, this went on for about five minutes, and we're, we're over there, of course. We're standing in line, see. Well, a guy comes out of the boarding place. Now there's nobody in the boarding joint. Absolutely nobody. And they've got, you know, they've got about 45 clerks on hand, and the place is empty. So he's standing there looking out. He looks across over at the igloo joint, and you can see him on the phone now. He's calling up somebody. And we're all waiting. We're all standing there waiting in line to get our ice cream because the old guys in the igloo are turning it out. When suddenly the guy comes out of the boarding joint with a bucket, and he's got a great big paintbrush, and he writes the following. Triple dip ice cream cones, eight cents. Giant triple dip cones tonight only. Well, there is a pregnant pause. And I mean it was pregnant. Nobody in recorded history had ever seen a triple dip ice cream cone go for eight cents. We were waiting in line now to get double dip cones for a dime. Triple dip for eight cents. And you could hear the crowd. You hear this tremendous, you know, great roar. And they roar across the street. And they rush right directly across like a gigantic snake. It just roared across the street. Now there's an enormous line standing in front of the boarding joint. And those guys are turning them ice cream cones up. The people are cheering and yelling. And it was it was just like infectious. And you can hear people now are coming from all around the town because the word has gotten out. They are selling triple dip ice cream cones for eight cents at Borden's. Unbelievable. Well, I could see that Liggett and we could see him clearly because this place was nothing but glass in the front. These both these places, big ice cream joints, you see. Liggett is now standing out on the sidewalk looking across over there, and he's looking bugged. And the kids were all standing with their scoops at the ready, <laughs> at which point Liggett comes out again with his paint bucket, and he just paints right over. Five cents, triple dip ice cream cone. Five cents now. Tonight, only five cents, triple dip. I don't have to tell you what happened. Tremendous roar to people charge across the street. And by this time, it was obvious. The word was going on. There's an ice cream war. They're fighting it out. There's an ice cream war down on Holman Avenue. You can hear the people coming, the cars walking, the police are arriving, and these red lights, the U-lights are gone. Well, the five-cent triple-dip ice cream cone stood up for roughly, I would say, 12 minutes. No more than 12 minutes. 
and the temperature is getting hotter. Oh, it was must have been 105 degrees. And you could see people are sweating. They've got ice cream pouring off their pants and their shoes. Guys that have gotten ice cream cones like four hours before are now back on the line. They want to get more. There's ice cream in their hair. And then at that point, as, as Liggett has given them the fi- five-cent triple-dip ice cream cone, there's a, a phone call. The guy's on the phone again. Everybody's waiting to see what he's going to do. And the crowd is edging forward, buying their ice cream. The kids are making it up, you know. They're putting the cones out as fast. When suddenly the Borden guy comes out and said the following. You couldn't believe what he said. Triple dip ice cream cones. Two cents now, tonight. Only two cents. Oh, my God. The crowd roared across. Tremendous roar went up from the crowd. And boom, they go running. Ice cream cones, triple dip. No sooner had that one gone up on the on the big plate glass window when Liggett is out with his paintbrush. One cent, triple dip ice cream cones. One cent. The crowd roared back again. You can see little old ladies are screaming and falling, and guys are running over them. Cars are turning over. Policemen are coming thousands of miles away. There must have been at least, at this point, 25,000 people running back and forth the streets. The Borden guy's on the phone. He's back out with his paintbrush. What's he writing? Triple dip ice cream cones. Free. Tonight only. Free. The crowd's roared. They're rushing across over the triple dip ice cream cones free. By this time, all of Gary has emptied out. Guys are coming down from Chicago to get in on this thing. People are being clubbed on the head by the cops. They're fighting and yelling. Little old ladies are got 35 ice cream cones. They're carrying them like giant bunches out of the out of the igloo. Then out of the boarding joint. Leggett comes running out and he writes, one quart of ice cream. One quart of ice cream, three cents. Well, that was even better than free. The crowd rushes over again. And then we began to hear the sirens coming. Sirens are coming from the distance. And within five minutes, the police have cleared the street. Borden's closed down by order of the police. Igloos is closed, and the cars drifted out of the mid-section of the town. People covered with ice cream. I had ice cream cones all over my pants, my knees, <laughs> ice cream in my hair, and you could see the street. It was fantastic litter in the street. Have you ever seen a battlefield after the battle has passed? Well, ladies' handbags, shoes... You could see eyeglasses busted, hats squashed. But that night, hardly anybody slept. The great ice cream war. And it passed into legend. And a couple of months later, the Borden joint closed up. They never made it. Leggett hung it out, and Igloos remains there to this day. And of course, like all great battles, like the Battle of Troy, you know, the Siege of Ithaca, the great battles, Iwo Jima, this became kind of part of the legend. 
And people talk about it, back and forth. And now there are a few of us who are actually there, actually there. And I sat with that guy that day in Igloo. And he says, you know, I was a kid then. He said, you was a kid then too, right? I said, yeah. He says, my God, did you see that old lady that came up with a shopping bag? A shopping bag for ice cream cones? I said, I sure did. He says, you know, nobody believe it now, would they? I says, no, they wouldn't. But you and I know, it was like two veterans meeting after the siege of Troy, you know. Nobody would believe about that damn Trojan horse, unless they would have saw it. He says, here, have another scoop. I says, put it there, veteran. He says, put it there, veteran. There ain't many of us that were actually on hand. He says, did you see that funny look on Leggett's face when he put up the sign that said free? I says, yeah. Has she ever talked to him about it? He says, Leggett never, never will discuss it. He won't discuss it. But once in a while, somebody comes in and mentions the Great War. We usually buy him a cone. So, you know, when the old veterans come in, they remember the war. We like to make them feel at home. They're still part of the life that we all know. And so the saga of the Great Ice Cream War passes into American history, part and parcel, with Bunker Hill and other great battles that occurred on the road to freedom.